everybody. Welcome back to the Consummate Athlete Podcast. I'm Molly Herford, and when I'm not writing about training, nutrition, riding, running, and adventuring outdoors, I am very hopefully actually outside doing those things. And I'm Peter Glassford. I'm a registered kinesiologist and an endurance coach and Molly's co-host here on the Consummate Athlete Podcast. So this week we are up in very, very chilly Canada. We we brought the warmth with us from, uh, from back home or down south, I guess, in New Jersey when we came back up, but it pretty much immediately froze over. So it's pretty much an ice rink on our, our streets, which is making for... I'm gonna I'm gonna say it's it's very consummate athlete because I am literally ice skating during my runs. I guess so. I guess so. Um yeah, it's it's been it's winter. Yes. It's definitely winter here. But. <laughs> yes, and thankfully I'm I'm on my way out of town, so no no complaints from me on that end. I will be in sunny Girona by the time this episode comes out, uh coaching a, another junior camp that I'm I'm really looking forward to fun to get some miles in there i think i've probably even done intros from Girona before because i've been a couple times now um, but i haven't ever really got to explore it by bike very much so this is going to be a really exciting trip well that's good i'm going to stay here in canada and hopefully get to ski at some point but oh you're excited about it yeah i mean if we get our snow back for some cross country that'd be great i sort of miss the window on the best back country and sort of off trail cross-country skiing there was but we'll hope hope it comes back i guess yeah so this week we've also kind of launched a couple of uh pretty big i'd say events that are coming up i mean not not coming up like next week but coming up for us in may so we're gonna we're gonna talk about them for a second so those of you who've been kind of following along know that shred girls Lindsay's joyride is coming out may 7th with random house I'm crazy excited about that. Um, pre-order, in, pre-order info is available in all of our show notes lately. It's over on shred-girls.com. I'm just so, so excited to get that book into as many young women's hands as humanly possible because, you know, the more girls getting excited about bikes, the better it is for everybody. Um, and to that end, we have a big launch party that's coming up at Joyride 150, this bike park right near Toronto. Um, we're going to have, yeah, Shred Girls launch party on May 11th. It's going to be, the park's open to everyone, so you can bring the whole family, but all women and girls get in for only $5, which is a crazy good deal. Uh, it's going to be such a fun day. We're going to have raffles and giveaways and swag bags and yeah, just tons of fun stuff. We're going to have a few of the Shred Girls in real life from the, the website, the interviews I've been posting. A few of them are going to be stationed around the park, kind of helping guide people through some of the trickier sections and teaching some rad skills. Yeah, yeah. And so if people can RSVP. Yes, if you RSVP, you will get a swag bag. If you don't, I make no and promises. that's at shred-girls.com slash joyride. Yep. Um, there's probably a link if you just go to shred-girls or check out Molly's or my Twitter, I guess, as well. Mm-hmm. Um, it's very yeah, easy to find. Yeah, so there should definitely be people there to help you if you haven't been or if you're trying to like stomp that 360. There's Some of the Shred Girls are, are quite good at, at jumping and have quite good style. 
Mm-hmm. I'm trying to remember whose video I saw just the other day. Oh, you saw Emma? De- no, you saw Des Smith's oh. like excellent outtakes of trying to stomp a 360. Well, there's <laughs> a lot of practice has to go into those things. Um, yes, and that was that Women's Weekend, which was really good, right? And it's awesome to see so many women out trying stuff and being open to feedback. I was on the jumping station, and we got a lot of air. Got a lot of air. A lot of air. (laughs) And so it's just, to me, it was just so cool to see. Like, that is, like, such a good moment in people's lives when they, like, feel themselves jump. Mm -hmm. Um, So it was a really cool station to get put on. Um, And no injuries on my station, which is, I was, I was like, oh, jumping is, you know. That, That jump line has seen a lot of my blood, so... Yeah, you didn't bleed that bad, but you did put your knee down there. Um, and my sweatshirt. After you got your first air, so people get excited. And yeah, then... yeah, really. Last run of the day, bad news. <laughs> yeah, so then our other event is soon after the sh- May 11th is mm-hmm. the so... Shred Girls event at Joyride. And then the next weekend is mm-hmm. a long weekend in Canada. Um, and we have a Friday, Saturday, Sunday sort of learn to train, learn to train better camp again for sort of teenaged girls um, and that's up near Collingwood Ontario um, so you can look for details for that soon uh, on shred girls shred girls.com yep it should be up um, by the time this episode airs so head over check that out we'll also tweet up a storm about it yeah yeah so yeah I'm super excited it's kind of all of our favorite things sort of rolled into one it's gonna be a really crazy month of May but definitely looking looking forward to that all right, Peter. So one thing. One so thing. we're trying to do this. What is the one thing we've sort of been enjoying? Uh, so for me, we've been on the road a bunch, and we generally bring uh, collapsible pour-over. So you can get these at sort of outdoor stores. Uh, the one we have is a silicone-type material. It doesn't seem to give a taste to the coffee or anything. But with that, we have a hemp filter, which I'm not super in because it does tend to have a taste, I think, and I'm not the cleanest person. Um, but you can just run, you know, you can get paper filters anywhere, any grocery store basically, uh, and just use those number two filters and yeah, make, make a nice pour over Mm -hmm. wherever you are. Uh, pro tip on that. If you put any kind of flavored coffee in, you will get in trouble with whoever is using it. Yeah. If you're into flavored coffee, you should probably just use like the mom and pop drip machine that's at a hotel or something, I guess. Yeah, so apologies to our first several silicone pour-overs yeah, we had to buy that an extra one. Met their met their end thanks to pumpkin spice brand blends of coffee. Yeah, yeah, so that's that's my one thing is is if you do do any traveling or certainly if you do any camping or stuff, those are definitely really really good. And I mean, you could use that at home every day if you want really like they're pretty burly. Um, mm-hmm. We have another one that's made out of leather, but I don't like it as much, but it's pretty neat how it's You basically- also have a fancy ceramic one and a Chemex type one. Yeah. You get a lot of pour overs. I mean, pour overs, good method. Yeah, I mean, I guess makes that's you why feel it's your one really thing. like once you get into the like the process, it's it's not the most complicated method, but it's definitely one that like you know you can sort of have your routine and sort of step through and measure everything and set it up. So it's I, I don't want to say it's meditative, but but it's meditative. It's nice because there's a process, right? I really like our espresso machine too, um, but you can't take it everywhere. On several occasions, I've almost bought you. There's a cyclist out in Colorado that makes these gorgeous, like, pour-over holders out of wood and 
metal and their oh, works like of a, art. It's like a wood box that you put the horrible Yeah, on. it's yeah. very overbuilt, but it's beautiful, and I've almost gotten it several times. Maybe when we buy a mansion and have massive <laughs> counters and tons of space, yeah. you can have one. Uh, anyway... Um, my one thing, also a hot beverage because, you know, it's freaking cold. So I've been really into making turmeric lattes, which I know is super millennial of me, but at least I'm not paying the $8 for them at cafes. So I'm going to give myself that. And is that the same as golden milk? Is that? I think so. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Essentially. Yeah. And so there's kind of two problems when you get them. If you order one out at a restaurant, one is that it'll come and have no sweetener in it, and it just tastes like someone poured a bunch of curry powder into hot milk. It's kind of gross. And then the other one is when you go, and it's super sweet and probably delicious, but it's, you know, 800 calories. So you're much better off making your own and finding a happy medium. So since you're putting like an almond milk beverage, and you're combining that with yeah, so I use turmeric like powder. Yes, uh, I just go almond milk, unsweetened, unflavored, a little bit of vanilla, uh, just vanilla extract, sp- uh, sprinkle of cinnamon, ton of turmeric, and then maybe a teaspoon of maple syrup just to give it a little bit of sweetness. And you're just putting that in like a, yeah. a pot on the stove. Yeah, just simmering that. And yeah, boom, super easy. You have to keep stirring it as you're drinking it, just so everyone knows, because the turmeric will all settle at the bottom if you're slow on the drinking. But yeah, that is my one thing. It's been super tasty. It's anti-inflammatory and just kind of lovely on a cold day. Yeah, and it's a nice alternative to like a tea or a coffee, right? There's no caffeine. Yeah, it skips the afternoon coffee and gives you a good anti-inflammatory dose. So win-win. All right, let's get into it. First question, pretty cycling oriented, I'll say, but it can, I guess, apply to other sports. Maybe we'll touch on that. What is FTP? How do I know mine? And how do I know if it's good? Well, there's a lot of questions there. Yes. Um, and we've had a few and we've seen a few on Twitter and Facebook and stuff and people getting really confused and thinking that their FTP is far too low. Um, so let's start at the beginning, I guess, because sometimes it's these questions are like made more complicated than they need to be. Yeah. I mean, I'll also say like for cyclists, FTP has this very odd magic to it of just being this like big, scary number that people really take a lot of stock in yeah i mean i I think it's you you could certainly correlate ftp which is just sort of i like to think about it though the sort of average wattage you can hold for an extended period of time usually that's somewhere between 20 and say 60 minutes um the time does vary which is sometimes missed on people like it's not just 60 minutes it's not that simple uh but it also doesn't need to be that complex most people, again, this is where it gets too complex. Like most people just want to know the number that they're going to put into like Zwift or Trainer Road or to get their zones out of training peaks. And they just want to know what number to put in there, right? So I always try and like personally, I'm of the opinion that it, it, you should err a little bit on the easier side of what you think. And there's always a range in the zones, right? So the threshold zone would be like zone four. So if you have done a let's use a 20 minute time trial and you got 200 Watts on your 20 minute, you warmed up. I always say you ride to your friend's house as hard as you can for 20 minutes. 
you know, you ride to the next town for 20 minutes, you ride up a climb that takes 20 minutes. What is the average power? Um, and that would not be your FTP. That would be your CP 20. So that's the best power you held for 20 minutes, which is valid. That's a, something you could track. The FTP is generally, you could take 5% as an estimate of that. So 5% of that 20 minutes, you like, would take that off. So yeah. it'd be 95% of that. Um, which quick math would be what? 180, 5%, no, sorry. 190, right? Yes. Yeah. So 190. So you're going to plug that into your, whatever your system is that you're using, carry on. Now, while you're training for the next month, you should get some information about how that is. You don't want to be knackered at the end or failing workouts. That would be a hint that maybe something's off in the setting. Right. Um, and again, that gets to almost irrelevant FTP, but we're talking about the setting in the system that you're working in might just be too high. Okay. So I love that phrasing because I think like a lot of people stress about the idea of lowering their FTP in a, like in their, you know, writing it anywhere. It's very stressful. You're, you're admitting that you're slower than you, you wanted to be or thought you were, but really it's a setting. It is not, it is not a judgment. Especially in these programs, right? Like there's a more advanced and I hesitate because in my head, like I'm like thinking through all the advanced applications, but again, most people just aren't there and that's not ego driven or me criticizing anyone. It just, most people just want to know what to put in as like the fitness setting that the zones are based off of in their program, right? So you probably have some information. Like if the in the last block went well, you had the setting at 180, bump the setting to 190 and continue training in the system that you're in, right? And and it's in that continued day-to-day efforts that you should get some intelligence about what you might do on the next test, if you're getting better. Again, the classic, I did three by 10 at 180 today, three by 15 at 180 tomorrow, or not tomorrow, but you know, in a few days next week. And that's, that's progression. Right. Um, but yeah, definitely the FTP is just, it's one piece of the puzzle, but it's, it's some sort of ignoring a lot of times the cyclists I work with have developed that and longer, but they're missing all the, what I call athletic, you know, top end things that actually, you know, are the race starts, the sprints, the accelerations, the attacks, the hill climbing, is everything under the 20, right? Like is, is sort of those, those athletic, like really explosive numbers. And that's what you often have to work on because people have made their FTP so good, but they forgot about the roof, right? So they're bumping up against the roof, so to speak. So that's an aside, but. Well, if you can't go with the leaders, you've lost the race, no matter what your FTP is. Yeah. So sometimes what you're, you're, you're talking about here is, you know, how do I get better would be the next question, right? And And sometimes you need to look at, you know, what is the thing you're training for, right? Sometimes if you're training for Ironman or Dirty Kansas or something, then that's a very steady race. And maybe that's, you know, those steady efforts make sense. Um, But if you're a mountain biker, like it might not matter as much, right? And that's where, you know, it, it's one thing you can use to set zone, certainly. uh, But you want to be thinking about other things that matter, right? There's so much stuff that matters, technical skill, you know, fueling yourself, sleep, all these things matter too. But again, the actual question is probably what do I put in to get my zone so I can go and train? So put in a number that's slightly lower than what you probably think and use the zones. Don't just ride the top of the zone and you'll be fine. Another aside, if you're friends with another cyclist who says his FTP is whatever, and that sounds high and you're like, oh, 
God, does that mean mine is terrible? No, it means he's probably lying or has it wrong. Well, and don't worry about it. Again, it's just like you, you have all sorts of different athletes, right? Like that same, that person might have a higher CP20, which they might be calling their FTP. Um, but they might not have any ability to ride longer than an hour or they might not have any ability to accelerate. Right. So they're not even in the mountain bike race because they weren't, they weren't able to stay with the group in the first minute. Right. Or, or they're a different sized athlete, right? A bigger athlete is going to have a higher CP 20, right? All the, all the people, all my peer group have pretty much higher CP twenties than me, my entire career, but I'm a fairly small person. Right. So there, there is that element too. Right. But I'm also a mountain biker. So it also doesn't matter as much. Right. I'm not a time trialist or, or something like that. Yeah. I guess I'm just saying like, don't, yeah. Never stress on comparing your CP20 to someone else's because yeah, between all of that and then the odds that they actually are correct in what they're saying it is. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and I think sometimes that what I see on the Facebook and Twitter things is like people, there's like tests that try and estimate FTP. And a lot of times they're like really short efforts. And then what will happen is they'll say, Oh no, my threshold settings too low. Um, and that might be a sign that their top end, like their athletic, well, that what I'm calling the athletic ranges, they aren't very good at. So like they can maybe go harder for 20 minutes, but if you ask them to go hard for like a, a four and an eight minute or two, eight minutes or whatever the, the shorts, you know, test to try and hide from the hard, long effort is, then they're like, Oh no, that's too low. So I would first say, well, maybe just go train for the month and use the range. Most of these programs have like a plus minus. Um, so use the range and it probably is fine. It's okay to not be knackered at the end of the workout. That might mean the setting's great, but the other challenge would be, we'll go and do it. Like, so go and ride for half an hour at that number you think is the threshold. And that would be a good indicator if you had a 30 minute, right? And so more and more I'm using, even just in training, we're using, you know, 30 minutes, quote unquote, sort of threshold efforts because that's racing, right? You need to do those long things where you're just in the hurt locker, like you're towing that line, towing that red zone, right? You're in the red zone. Um, and you can't do that year round. You can't do that every day. Right. But so that's, I mean, that's a bunch of stuff on FTP. Now we don't want to belabor this, but I did write an article that sort of goes through a few of these concepts. Uh, so we'll link to that over on, but you can check it out at smartathlete.ca as well, uh, on the blog. Cool. All right. Next question. How should I combine strength and bike workouts for the best effect? So yeah. there's kind of a lot of like questions wrapped up in this, but first we'll start, I guess, with just like you have a strength workout and a bike workout on the schedule today. Well, so I like to always ask people back when they ask me these, like, is this good or what is the best way is, you know, what are the options that you have in your life? You know, as busy people, that's mostly who I coach are, you know, adults with kids and family and work and life. Um, there's probably not as many options, right? Like we can't do six hours of training a day. So if we talk about like how much, how much should I train, you know? So here the options would be probably one, like strength train one day, bike the next day. So that's option number one. I'm going to throw out my like pop psychology thing because this is exactly what I would do. I would totally have asked you, what should I do? Hoping you'd say, do this one versus like, right. Do both of them. But then you kind of throw it back at them as the, 
like, okay, no, like, let's talk about what you can actually do. Right, right. Um, so I think that's actually a really, really good question people need to ask themselves a lot more often. Right. And what can you, like, motivate? What can you do a good job on? You know, it's it's very common, especially when people are new to coaching. They, they think, okay, I can probably squeeze, like, three hours every single day of the week and then also work my nine to five and then also get the kids to hockey. Um, and that's just not realistic, right? I mean, you, and, can, and I you can bring a trainer to the rink. That's all I'm saying. I'm also amazed. Like, I do feel like that's a thing. You could... You could <laughs> I've seen things like that, but like runners certainly, or, you know, going for a walk, but that's an aside. We don't need to talk about how people spend their time with, well, they might want to watch their kids play hockey. Um, so strength. So doing them on different days is a good option. So strength on one day, bike on the other. The challenge you can run into there is that you decrease the number of days. If cycling is the goal sport, you would maybe decrease that because there probably should be an off day or two in the week. Um, and I think in the general preparation phase or, or your base one twos, especially, that's probably fine. If it's wintry out, you know, go to the gym, you know, you can maybe do a little bit of spinning or cross training, you know, after or something or even before, just sort of warm up a bit more. But focus on the strength. And I think for that base one too, as adults, we're probably well served to focus on that. So I don't think there's a problem with doing, you know, Tuesday, Friday in the gym, and then Wednesday, Thursday, Saturday, Sunday, as your, your bike main sport workouts. Um, and that would leave Monday as an off day, I think. Right. Um, I think you just want to be careful that you're not doing hard stuff every single day of the week. We need that variety, right? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so what about combining the two workouts, like literally combining your bike and strength workout? I honestly, like, I think you could find studies, right, where there's going to be like an what they call concurrent training, right? And you're going to see different studies sort of suggest different things. Um, so in the same workout, I think, again, if that was the only option, I think most endurance athletes should do some sort of movement training. So... I've had people to mix up trainer time, especially when you have like a mountain biker or someone who's probably going to need to use their upper body and be up out of the saddle. I think it would be a great stimulus to get, you know, off the bike, take off your shoes, do some core strength, whatever that means to you for five minutes back on the bike for 10. Um, we used to do really hard workouts that were like tempo workouts. And then you, you do like 10 minutes of tempo, get off and do like crusher, like burpees and then back on and stuff. Um, uh, we don't recommend just starting with that, by the way. <laughs> yeah, we definitely built into that. And we also had an off bike, like we were proficient in whatever movements. But I, I think get off and do squats and, you know, body weight squats, like not, not unloaded squats and then some push ups or something. Um, again, core sort of stuff. And, and by all means, you could be like 30 minutes of spinning and then a, a, a core workout, I think would be great. Um, again, I think sometimes we complicate it, right? Like I think something is better than nothing. Um, if you were like really experienced with strength um, and you were going to divide them into two workouts, I guess is the other option that we'll just touch on briefly. I would generally put like a bike interval workout, whatever that means for that time of year um, in the morning. And then probably six hours would be good is what the research shows. But I always just say three plus uh, hours between with like a meal or two uh, in between. And then strengthen the afternoon evening with fueled so the big thing is that that strength workout should have fuel so whatever that you know a meal before a meal after protein powder during whatever that means to you but 
I think if we come back to that heart of like, what are the possible options for you and what sort of is the focus of the the time of year, right? So you'd maybe even go our first option where you're going Tuesday, Friday strength, Wednesday, Thursday, Saturday, Sunday bike. Um, so separate days. And then maybe as you get into base three, four, more specific period, you're maybe going to move to doing just, you know, core after our, our, our core in the morning or, you know, a lighter core workout maybe on your off days might be okay then or just after a couple workouts right and so the focus maybe changes a bit too Mm -hmm. yeah and then just to kind of build on the if you're doing the two workouts in the day um definitely the meal after and make sure you get 20 grams of protein pretty quickly after your first workout um that can be it should almost be in regular meal form whole foods that's definitely the preferred method but whatever you have to do if that means you do have to drink a protein powder thing get that 20 grams in because that's going to help you with the second workout of the day that's like the one time where that protein ingestion window post-workout is really more critical well and i think that's where a lot of that studies and i guess we'll call like the myth of the myth or the the hype around that window right like it gets more important the more frequently you're training right so the example of like someone who trains every other day right and they don't do anything like the glycogen window doesn't really matter like your glycogen would replete you know even in 24 hours likely right so it doesn't matter and that's where using all these recovery potions and stuff like they have their time in place but for a lot of us you know i generally will go more towards meals you know maybe our blueberry smoothie or something with lunch or something after a workout but um yeah, generally you can eat food, right? As a as a person, I'm just saying you want to make sure that you're actually eating. So it might just mean, you know, you have breakfast after the morning bike workout, and then you have lunch, and then you're in the gym, sort of, you know, after work, maybe even a snack just as you're going into the gym or something. Um, and you you made a point when we were talking about this previously about making sure that you cooled down. And I'm trying to remember, oh, just like if it was like later, right in the evening. Yeah, well, let's maybe segue that into our next question. So even if we were doing double days and we ended up training later at night. Yeah. Or if we were someone who only has a window late at night. Yeah, and that's what this next question was, is um, just how with working two kids, I can only train at night, sometimes till 10 p.m. Um, how can I sleep better? And I think that's where that cool down is going to come, you know, really be a huge part of your workout. Even if yeah. it means an extra few minutes, I'm going to say. Yeah. Yeah. It's tough, right? Like, and it's, it's to me, I'm always like, oh, there is no other time. And sometimes there just isn't another time. Right. And I know a couple, I coach one guy who's, you know, he's going to be going to master's worlds for mountain bike and he's been quite successful. Right. And he gets into bed and he has his smoothies already made and stuff. And he just has a, a sort of light smoothie after he's already had dinner and then he does the workout and then has like sort of a light smoothie before he goes to bed. And he rolls fine with it right and just tries to get as much sleep but so i think maybe that's a few things is like first just having like a cool down that you do like don't get off the bike or out of the gym with your heart rate still at like 160 let it kind of come down it'll also sort of help your body start shifting into that more bedtime routine um, and then yeah. i think the bedtime routine itself is going to be a huge thing having that smoothie pre-made and maybe making sure it is kind of full of like very soothing calming tastes and flavors i'm i'm thinking like for me i'm thinking that would be vanilla not chocolate i don't know why 
it just seems more calming like a bit of honey in there or whatever whatever's going to seem kind of relaxing to you and then you know having a chamomile tea queued up and have that ready to go and yeah it's hard to say like some people go right to bed and they you know they can get to sleep and other people have to wind down and i think that's where you have to look at the options right like i see sometimes people are like i have to ride two hours and that's like the and and that's like well maybe we cut that to one right or even half an hour Mm -hmm. Um, and sometimes that buys us a little bit more sleep right and it's painful in some ways to be like ah, only half an hour you know i was gonna ride for 90 minutes or two hours but then what is that sleep worth right if we can get to sleep by shortening that up Mm -hmm. and then on the flip side then maybe on like a a friday night you know you can squeeze in a little spin that you usually wouldn't and then maybe on saturdays you can get like more midday you know saturday sunday more midday rides um and that maybe is just you know maybe the way to go right like tuesday wednesday thursday rides monday went friday or are off or something yeah so that kind of from the training perspective i do because the question is how can i sleep better to me that kind of mm. indicates there's like just more of a an issue with the actual sleep itself and i mean i think you're right in that shortening the workouts you know just giving that more time might be i would play part with of it. the because some people so this one person i'm talking about um they just i think do essentially like a protein like shake it up in a bottle which is how i usually do my protein mm-hmm. powder just like water and protein because they've already had um dinner Right. And, and this is this may work horribly. It may be horrible for some people. Um, I don't know if I could do it this way. Um, but the thing is, you may not need the carbohydrate depending on when you're training next and how you're wired up and what dinner looked like. Does that make sense? So you're just doing like a, a bit of protein post-workout and then you're jumping in bed. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's what they do. And then I think the other piece would be you're probably going to shower before you go to bed. And I would play with the temperatures of that shower. Some people, the warmer shower is nice some people the you're you're maybe not even cold the whole time but like hitting yourself with a couple cold blasts and then that way when you get out of the shower you've cooled down because i think for a lot of people it's the workout strength or cardio has like warmed you up so much Mm -hmm. you can't get to bed yeah i've even when i work out later in the day i definitely have a night sweat issue um, from overheating and i think it's largely from working out and not cooling down enough before i actually go to bed Um, And then, I mean, the typical sleep hygiene stuff, right? Like, keep the room super dark. uh, Super cold room. Super cold. You know, eye mask, earplugs. I almost said eye plugs, ear masks. um, You know, just all of that kind of stuff. A white noise machine, a soothing essential oil diffuser. Um, Even, honestly, you know, meditation is such a cheesy thing to say. But that might actually be kind of a good segue, like post-workout, that's your cool down is you meditate for 10 minutes with, you know, an app like Oak or if you want guided, you know, Headspace or something like that, that might help you sort of take it down a couple notches. And Well, and I think that's, you know, when you're cooling down at the end of that bike workout, right, just really soft pedaling. I like people to try even, you know, assume you're not on rollers, but if you're on a trainer, sort of eyes closed, breathing really deeply um, while you're still pedaling. Um, and then it might be, you know, laying on the ground and stretching, you know, again, focused on deep breathing more so than even the stretching, right? And trying to downregulate a little bit um, and then combining that with the shower. Um, I think that would be good. But I would also just look at the workout duration. I think 
we're very guilty sometimes of thinking like the only bicycle ride is a 90 minute bicycle ride and you can do a lot with half an hour. You know, I, I think you'd be surprised if you did like a Tuesday, you know, some coordination, some one leg, some high RPM, something like that, whatever you believe in, so maybe some short sprints. Um, and really just focus on that sort of like coordination side of things. Most cyclists don't do nearly enough of that. Maybe Wednesday is a little, you know, hour or 90 minutes. Maybe that's the longer day on hump day. And then Thursday maybe is even like a pretty short one too. Um, you know, and then you're into the weekend hopefully. Right. And that might just be the way to roll. Right. If that sleeps better. Right. And that might be another variable. So we have showers, we have making sure the room's cold. We have, playing with the post-workout meal ranging from very little to more significant. Um, what else did we have? A lot of things. You might just have to rewind and listen to this again. <laughs> um, and just the workout, what the workout is, right? Again, that might need to get played with. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Awesome. All right. Moving on. The most important metrics to consider with bike workouts and tests. So, you know, the three main ones we'll say are heart rate, power, and um, perceived exertion. And I'll even argue there's some some different things within them you can say are the metrics, you know, like average power versus power or, you know, average heart rate versus sure specific heart rate. Well, there's so much now, right? There's so much data. Yeah. And I mean, that's not, yeah, that's not even getting into the, like, the VAM or the muscle oxygenation or a billion yeah. other well and we haven't even like feeling like your perceived exertion is i said that oh you did yeah but i think that's that's like the big one hey that's my bit oh okay um that was gonna be like your punchline yeah <laughs> okay um yeah i mean i think it depends on the goal of the workout right and i think that's a lot of times we get so focused especially in this day and age you know there's Zwift and we're focused on this like one Zwift thing every single time we ride or we're going outside and we're going to like PB up this like segment or something or if we're a runner we're following that pace would be the classic right like I have to hit four minutes per K every time I run Um, regardless of the wind the surface the you know the gradient all this stuff right And, and it gets overwhelming right it can be so I think the the switch that we have to make is what is the goal of today? And the goal of today shouldn't be the same likely as yesterday or tomorrow, but just today, what is my focus? So it might be, um, maybe I'm doing some hill intervals today. I did a couple like three minute intervals VO2. So average wattage was my focus. And then I was feeling wise trying to sit more cause I like to stand up and just trying to be relaxed, hitting that goal power. And I, wanted to go over and I wanted to like fight it up and stand and attack it, but focusing on my posture and hitting, nailing that average wattage. So it was like quite focused and quite uncomfortable, but I was practicing sitting in that uncomfortable position, sitting, so to speak, both like literally and figuratively, figuratively, actually, literally 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 and figuratively. figuratively. Um, So that was today. Tomorrow, I'll probably just listen to some podcasts and just sort of pedal that sort of endurance pace and I'll watch my heart rates in sort of, I use 65 to 75% of max pretty loosey goosey. Just keep the legs moving for probably do 90 to two hours tomorrow. So endurance day, heart rate focus, listening to some podcasts, distracting myself in Canadian winter. Yeah. And then if you were to take a, a rest day coffee shop spin, which we're not going to do because the roads are, yeah. the roads are ice, that yeah. would be just perceived exertion. Right. 
Uh, yeah, uh, just super. I guess you'd maybe have a limit. You'd maybe have a heart rate alarm in the background, maybe or something. But you know, or maybe the goal is like you're in your the classic Joe Friel was like ch- small chain ring only. Mm-hmm. Um, but that should be focused on like conversation and coffee. Yeah. Um, yeah. But you know, your rest day yoga or something too. Yeah, walking. exactly. Um, so what I always say about perceived exertion, and I sincerely believe it's the most important, and this is probably largely because I really don't like recording things. I find data collection to be incredibly tedious, even though I know it's a thing that I need to do when I'm training for something. Mm-hmm. I find it very irritating. Um, so for me, perceived exertion has always been my my number one. And I think, I think it's reasonable because during a race, you shouldn't be looking at your power meter or your heart rate monitor to, to figure out exactly what you're doing. The only, the only way I'd say maybe you should is Okay, maybe during an Ironman or like an extremely long, extremely flat kind of course where that actually would be a thing you could check. Um, Mm -hmm. Sure, but mountain bike race, triathlon, you know, even marathon, unless you're, again, a top 10 runner and, you know, checking in because seconds matter. I think you're, you know, you're racing by feel. And, you know, all the wattage in the world is probably not going to get you number one in that race. Like you need to be able to to dig the hardest not hit your you know thing that you know you can hit for five minutes i think even that could actually be a detriment right if you know that you can hit 400 watts for five minutes and you're staring at that to make your big attack and you're gonna you're gonna try to hit 400 for five minutes i think you're gonna stay stuck at 400 you might not realize that you could have gotten to 410 or 415 yep yeah, that's definitely possible for sure. Um, you know, there's definitely the races that are more mathematical and you can definitely use those feedback mechanisms. But the classic example is you know, the power meter that doesn't work on race day. Yeah, right? and, exactly. And what do you do? Um, and like, you know, Usain Bolt is not looking at a, a heart rate monitor when he does the 100 meter sprint. No, and certainly the in the race, right? Like there's a lot of things going on that you need to pay attention to. So... Um, and, and I think just that variety, right. Of focus, right. And that's, I think where people get stale or burnt out on, on different programs, whether it's, you know, they're following a coaching program or they're just doing their own thing. If it's the same every day, if you're not changing your focus, um, it's very hard. Right. And so Mm -hmm. what you'll see is again, people will do the same intervals, the same intensity, the same thing they're staring at every day. But if you mix that up, it's really not that hard to do two days of intervals, two days of endurance, two days of coffee shop rides, mm-hmm. you know, it's, I think the other thing is uh there's a bit of a, an out, if you're riding outside, there's a bit of a danger element to being focused on heart rate or power. Uh, if you're doing an interval on a busy road and you are so focused on looking down and holding that wattage. I guess. I don't know if that's that I, big of a concern. I would bet you there are a fair amount of crashes from people that are looking down at their power meters the same way there are car crashes because people look down at their phones. I guess. I mean, that sounds really lame, but I guess that's, that's true. I feel like this is just like such a mom type thing to say, but I think, the- I think that's true. I think if you, and if especially if you're coming from a trainer where all you do is stare down at your power meter at that 400 watts or whatever the wattage number is. I keep saying 400 in hopes that people are just going to assume that my like 10 minute power is 400. Um, I think if you just get so stuck in staring down at your power meter all the time, you're going to have a hard time looking up. Yeah, I, I don't know that that's as much a safety issue as maybe you miss 
I think the practical example I would see is you, you need to hit 400 Watts for 10 minutes. So you only do your workouts and rides at a place where it's, it allows you. So this one Hill, we all ride up this local Hill that takes 10 minutes because it's perfect and you can do 400 Watts, but then, you know, you never do it in an area that's not, you know, a flat. So you can't do it power on flat, right? You're going to miss that coordination. Um, and then you never do it on like a slightly bumpy hill or something, right? So then when the race is on a bumpy hill, you have no idea what's going on. Um, you know, if you're a mountain biker, you never do your intervals off road. I was just talking to a new client and they were asking about power meters and which bike. And I was like, I mean, if you're going to be a mountain biker, we, we probably want to be doing those intervals on the mountain bike, right? Cause that's, that's where the money's made, right? The road bike's great for doing endurance and steady work. Um, I think that's important for mountain biking, but definitely at some point you're going to have to go hard and not hit a tree, right? I don't know. I always hit the tree. (laughs) So I think that's to your safety concern. I think that's what gets missed is if we're only focused on like one thing, then you lack variety, right? Whether that's, you're only focused on one metric, like you're missing the other things that go into that metric, whether that's like another metric, like cadence or speed or the hill you're on, right? There's, there's a lot more to the sport, to every sport. I'm going to find an example of somebody crashing because they were looking down at their power meter. I mean, I'm sure there's some, but I mean, that's, I guess, aside from the point, right? Like, <laughs> What is the most important metric? And I think we've settled on like feeling it, right? Like sitting with that discomfort, right? Yes. And, and if we look back at the podcast we did with uh, Hutchinson, the, Alex Hutchinson, the Endure podcast, right? Like a lot of that was based on enhancing your ability to sit in that, red zone that Mm -hmm. discomfort right um we've had fitzgerald on and he has brain training and there's another how bad do you want it both those books very much on perceived exertion and like you actually brought up a a similar anecdote the you know you think 400 is your limit so then you never do more than 400 right but then something changes where oh all of a sudden now you do i had that personally happen i always did 323 on my 20 minute and then for some reason, suddenly one day I did 340. Mm-hmm. I think it took like 10 years. I think Alex even talks about that in Endure with uh, the four minute mile. Sure. Great example. Yeah. Everyone was just, that's how fast you run the four minute mile. Yep. I mean, that makes sense. It, it's called a four minute mile. <laughs> one would, one would assume. That's what they were focused on. <laughs> no one said go run a 358. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, okay. I think that's, that's good on that. Um, this next question kind of ties back to the strength training and I guess to the, the going to bed and cooling down thing, uh, ups and cool downs for strength training. And I think this is something that often gets missed because strength training seems to be a thing that gets tossed into a lot of people's things where it's, you know, you walk in, and I'm super guilty of this. You walk in the gym, you go for the weight rack, you grab whatever weight, you start going. Um, it's very kind of a willy nilly. <laughs> yeah. And it, probably Haphazard. endurance athletes might be more prone to that because they're, you know, they just get on their bike or they just get on and go run. Right. And I think we could probably get better with doing some of these concepts for those sports too. Right. Yeah, but I, and endurance athletes, I think, are especially guilty because strength training is always the sort of add-on extra thing. It's not the thing that, you know, they're not trying to bench press their well, body And weight. I think that's why some of the earlier questions, I'm like almost hesitant to say like it even matters because any of these things where there's concurrent training, like we're talking about like actually lifting weights, no offense to everyone, myself included, but 
you know, if, if you're not going in and doing heavy weights, then it only matters so much, right? You know, that could be heavy weights or, you know, just fatiguing weights, right? And a lot of times with, we're more on the like core and it's, you know, sort of that half hour, 10 minute routine. It's really not so fatiguing that any of these things really matter that much. Um, and again, getting them done is probably more important. Um, the movement train is more important. So this gets to, I guess, the question of how are we warming up for things? And I guess it depends what the things are. Okay, strength workout. We're we're gonna do a little bit of a little bit of literally warming up the body. We're gonna hit a little bit of cardio. Uh, we've I think talked about this before, even on the show. We both like the rower because it's a move that we don't do very often in yeah in regular life. But it's fairly like it uses your arms and your back and stuff. And but if all you have is riding to the gym or you know running to the gym, that that also works just sure. anything that gets you kind of limber gets the blood flowing gets you kind of in the zone i think especially if it's cold out or if Definitely. you're just coming from like the desk maybe or something like that um but yeah I, I mean i use probably like one to three minutes of cardio um and then people are sort of off the rower or off the bike and we do what you could call like movement prep or active flexibility and that's usually like moves that look like strength training it might even be the workout for someone who's newer to strength training. Um, so you're using body weight, maybe some bands, you're doing things like, you know, that you could call prehab, maybe even things that the therapists, you know, your physio has told you you should be doing, right? So things for your shoulder, um, clamshells or the classic runner thing. Um, but what do we do? We usually do like some lunges, some sideways lunges, some inchworms, some squats without any weight. Yeah. Sumo squats. Um, you could get a dowel, like a broomstick and do sort of some shoulder work with that. You could do some overhead squats with a broomstick overhead is a great one. I'll even do just one of my little like, yoga flows and sure. you can find them over on the outdooredit.com. I have a couple morning videos, but they're five minutes of just a few things sure. that basically are lunges, squats, and you're just trying to move, right? Like before you go and put a big weight overhead you know you're going to do overhead press you just want to make sure that your arms have been above your head without a, a weight right so you do some arm swings and we do some leg swings and um you know a lot of cyclists and just a lot of people tend to be rotated forward you know we're sort of rounded forward hunched forward so just things for the shoulder things for the upper back can be quite nice and then the hips again sort of the classic we've been sitting in the car or sitting on our bike or whatever so just doing some lunging and some different things to sort of just open that up in an active sense. And then also those are the same moves you're going to probably be doing in the strength workout, right? So you know, if you're going to lift heavy, if we're going to do a set of squats, then we're going to do, you know, the bar for, for even 10. We're going to do put some 10 pounds on each side. We're going to do that for five. Then we're going to put 10 more pounds you know, and then progress up and then eventually we'll get to sort of our working set and we'll do that working set for maybe just one set, depending on who we're working with and what we're doing, just one heavy set. Um, maybe you're going to do like a five by five or you're going to do three by 10 or whatever that working set is, right? So it could take a bit to warm up to that main lift. Um, and then maybe you're doing some circuit training or something. And again, you just sort of work through that. Awesome. All right. And then cool down. This is, I think, hotly debated. And I'll say in the classes that we've attended and taught it usually feels like a 50 percent dropout rate almost at the end of class everyone just scrambles to get out the door in class it's tough to keep people for that yeah um the second they get off their bike they're gone and that i think lends to like endurance athletes and you know we'll say maybe this consummate athlete we're trying to be consummate athletes and warm up and cool down and, and you know what the one time i taught the spin class and i said 
we are staying for a 15 minute yoga thing. They all loved it by the end of it. I think they all kind of grumped about having to stay, but everyone was happy with it. Yeah. I mean, I think sometimes that's on the instructor for sure. Um, Cool down. I mean, I think, again, we talked about that sort of down regulation, right? So I think just easing back down. So that could be, maybe this is where you put static stretching or foam rolling is a great one to sort of, again, breathe deeply dry and relax into things that could be a bit of yoga i think this is a great time where i would maybe go after personally i would do a bit of those sort of like lower intensity therapy exercises so i have a rotator cuff and a collarbone that are always reminding me that they have been damaged in the past so you know some of those classic things that the therapist has probably told you and given you the little blue band and stuff um runners with the clamshells again different things like that i'm trying to think of other classic things that people are supposed to do calf stretching i guess would be one that a lot of people have the the calf restrictions um yeah but just even just breathing deeply right so sometimes we'll just get people you know you put your feet up on the wall and breathe really deeply and just relax because it's probably like for some people that's like the the two to five minutes they have to just zone out right call call it meditation but let's I, i prefer just breathing deeply and just relaxing yeah and i mean i think there's there's a pretty negative impact to like going from super high intensity rushing out of the gym, getting back on your phone, getting back to the office, hitting your email, and still being in that like super excited parasympathetic state. Um, that would be sympathetic. Sympathetic yeah. state, you're, you're looking for the parasympathetic. We want parasympathetic, yeah. yeah. Um, so yeah, if we don't do the down regulation, I think the rest of the day is going to feel a lot more stressful. So it's, it's not even necessarily about your body. It's also about your brain and how you're going to kind of move from one thing to the other. Even if you feel like you're totally fine, uh, I would bet you anything that like the flood of hormones going through you is, is still saying like, help, help, help. Well, I think that's maybe even what you're seeing in the spin class when you're seeing people leave, right? They, they want to go rush to that other thing. And your challenge as the instructor then is to say like, no, we're going to pause for two minutes, put your feet on the wall put your hand on your belly and breathe really deeply in this dark room for two minutes and then you can go. Yeah. I mean, there's a reason you do the Shavasana at the end of yoga and yoga is pretty chill. So if we need to still do like a lay down for two minutes at the end of that, yeah, and I imagine think at the end a of a cue. high intensity class. Yeah. And I mean, maybe that's, you know, yoga has been around forever, right? And it seems to work there. So that's, I think a good thing. Um, I've never been like warm up is, is I think, Sorry, the cool down is something that maybe we don't need to do quite as much. You know, maybe an elite athlete needs to really like cool down that engine. Um, But for them, you know, you see after mountain bike races and stuff, people cool down for a long time after. Sometimes I think that's just as much again, this like they're trying to come out mentally out of Mm -hmm. because it's like it's intense if you're at that level. Right. So I think that's where the cool down sometimes you just need to go. I know I've gone after coming out of races where I've just been so wound that I just need to like go and spin, you know, on my own. Or so upset that you need to kind of go have well, a vice couple versa. tears. Both are, you're amped up, right? And yep. so that's an extreme example. But I mean, if you're doing a hard strength training, maybe you're doing some CrossFit or some metabolics type stuff in that workout, you've lifted, you know, a max deadlift, you probably need to get things like wound down a bit, right? And mm-hmm. like you say, the day is going to go a little nicer if you get that. But um, I think if you have that hour, like, to train i would definitely why not spend two minutes with your feet up on a wall breathing deeply yeah exactly 
Awesome. Well, I think we'll wrap it up there for this week. Uh, as always, thank you so much for those of you who already submitted questions. And for those of you who have questions on nutrition, training, sports psych, pretty much anything, either, you know, we'd love to answer it or, you know, we can have one of our guests come back on. Uh, we have Danelle Kabush coming up. She's a sports psych and she's talking about one of our listener questions. Um, the uh, registered dietitian Lori Nedesky we had on a month and a half ago or so is, you know, always happy to come back and talk nutrition uh, as often as we want. So, you know, keep those questions coming. Uh, you can find me at Molly J. Herford, Peter's at Peter Glassford, or you can submit over at uh, consummateathlete.com. Um, and as always, if you head to iTunes, subscribe, rate, review, all super helpful, very much appreciated. And yeah, uh, make sure if you have young women, check out shred, uh, shred-girls.com for all the cool stuff coming up there too. Thanks for listening, everyone. Thanks so much for tuning into the Consummate Athlete Podcast. Uh, you can check out my stuff over at theoutdooredit.com or by following me on Instagram and Twitter at Molly J. Herford. And you can check out Peter's coaching, training plans, blogs, all that fun stuff over at smartathlete.ca or by following him on Twitter and Instagram at Peter Glassford. And if you want to support this show and other awesome podcasts, please check out wideanglepodium.com for show info, other podcasts, bonus content, and to become a donating member so you can get all of that rad behind-the-scenes content and help keep shows like this on the air. And lastly, if you're enjoying this podcast and all the information that we're bringing to you every single week, uh, do us a solid and pop into iTunes to leave us a rating and review. It takes you about two seconds. You can do it on your computer. You can do it on your phone. And it really helps us out. Thanks so much, and we will see you next week.